In Jesus' name, amen. So please take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you. Read with me together out loud from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I read in the newspaper that a wedding was put on hold because of prenuptial agreement. In Hollywood, an actor was offering $1 million per year for being his wife up to the first five years, plus $250,000 per year in walk-around money. Now, you and I could walk around plenty with a quarter million dollars. The catch, however, is this. The lady is holding out. She's holding out for $2 million per year, plus $1 million per year in walk-around money. That's pretty high-stepping. Probably, probably every husband needs to turn to his wife this morning and apologize. There are people, yes, there are wives who spend a lot more than what your life, wife does. But what that says to me in your notes, it really doesn't matter how much money you make. Everybody has financial fears. Everybody has fears. We all fear that we're not going to have enough. You don't have to be poor to become anxious and fearful about money. What do couples getting married in the richest country in the world fear and worry about? What do couples getting married in America worry about? In your notes, finances. And when I ask couples planning their weddings what they're worried about, near the top is always finances. In fact, what you find is that the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have to maintain. The more you have to insure, to protect, or fear losing. We begin this morning by looking carefully at Paul's words in Philippians 4.19. And that's God's guarantee regarding your finances. Paul writes, God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So I want you to circle the word will in that verse. It says God will. It doesn't say God might because it's a fact. God is taking his character, his reputation on this. I will. Next, I want you to circle the word all. It doesn't say that God will meet some of your needs. So does that include your car payment? Yes. Your medical bills, your house payment? Yes. Then please circle also the word needs in that verse. It doesn't say I will meet all your dreams or all your wants. There's a difference between your needs and your wants. As a parent, do you give your kids everything they want? I hope you don't. Because you love them, you don't. You don't want to be spoiling them. Your Heavenly Father, He loves you. And He isn't going to give you everything that you want. You'd be a spoiled debt to death. So going on. In that verse, God says also, I'll meet all your needs according to His riches. Circle the word His. This promise is not based upon your or my assets. It's based on what God has. 
and God does not run out of his resources. Then circle also the word in, in that verse. In Christ Jesus. That means that this is a promise for believers. God has not promised to meet everybody's needs. God does not promise to meet the needs of those who reject his son Jesus. This is for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God says, if you're in God's family, he will meet all your needs. Then you might be asking, how, how come that I have financial needs? How come I also know believers who also have financial needs? Does God fail to meet his promise? Did God lie? No way. You see, with every biblical promise in your notes, with every biblical promise, there's also a premise. In the Bible, every promise, there's also a premise. That is, there are requirements. There are things where God says, I'll do my part, you do your part. There are three biblical premises that God's financial promises I'd like to share with you this morning. Because God has promised to meet all your financial needs based upon these requirements. In your notes, number one, God has promised to meet all my financial needs if I ask for his help. Yes, if I ask for his help. Look at James 4, verse 2. James says, you do not have because you do not what? Ask. That's pretty clear. God is waiting for you to ask him. And in your notes, God does not shut his storehouse until you shut your mouth. The Bible says that God, he wants to help. The problem is that you simply do not ask him. The last time you wanted a car, did you ask God? Or did you just go out and buy it? You probably just went out and bought one. Look at Matthew 7, verse 7. It says, ask and you will receive. Then search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Now I want you to circle the letter, first letter of those verbs in that verse. Where it says, ask and then search and knock. Then what does that spell? Ask. Do you get it? Say, I got it. God is wanting us to get the message. Over 20 times in the New Testament, God says to us, ask. Would you like to see God working in your life more? Then start asking him more. So let me give you a little rule here. In your notes, before you pay, pray. Before you pay for it, pray for it. You stop and ask God to give it to you. Do you realize that you probably depend more on your charge card than you do on Jesus? I'll just go out and I'll charge it. But why does God want us to ask him for it? Because God is a loving father. And loving fathers, they love to bestow gifts on their children. I love to give gifts to my kids. So look at John 16, verse 24. Jesus is talking. You have not asked for anything in my name. So ask and you will receive. Your joy will be complete. So why does God want me to ask? So that he can give to us. 
Why does God want to give? So that I can receive from him. And why does God want me to receive? So that I can be full of joy. So that my joy will be complete. You see, joyful Christians are always positive testimony to a loving Heavenly Father. Sour and complaining Christians are a poor testimony. So in your notes, if you prayed as much as you worry, you'd have a lot less to worry about. If you prayed about your finances as much as you worry about them, you'd have less to worry. So number one, ask for God's help. In your notes, number two, God has promised to meet all my financial needs if, if I learn to be content. Why? Because God is more interested in your character than he is in your comforts. And God wants you to grow up. God wants you to mature. God wants you to be more and more like Jesus. So God watches out for your attitude. Today there's a bad myth that strongly influenced our lives in America. In your notes, it's having more. Having more will make me more happy. However, having more things do not make me more happy. Look at 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. So God is saying that we brought nothing into this world. If you have seen a newborn baby, you know that they don't bring much into this world with them. They're not holding on to cars and computers and game sticks. And at a funeral, you know that the person doesn't take anything out. The things on this earth are used for these 80 plus or minus years. So what is contentment? In your notes, contentment means my happiness is not dependent on the circumstances. Happiness is not dependent upon circumstances around me. Most people, they get caught up in what I have called when and then thinking. They think when I get such and such, then I'll be happy. When I get to a certain level of income, then I'll be happy. When I get a certain job, then I'll be happy. When I retire, when I get a house paid off, God says no, because you just want more. There'll always be something else. Howard Hughes was asked, really, how much does it take to make a man happy? His answer, just a little more. So God wants us to learn contentment. On the back of your notes, looking at Philippians 4.12, because Paul, he learned contentment. I know what it is to be in need, Paul says, and also what it is to have more than enough. I have learned this secret so that anywhere and at any time, I am what? Content. Circle the word learned in that verse. Contentment is something in your notes that you must learn. Because contentment is something that you don't have. You need to learn it. You don't have it by nature. It's not very natural for you and me just to be content. People are by nature, by their sinful human nature, very discontented. So you have to learn it, Paul says. And how do you learn to be content? On your notes. You can learn to be content by not comparing. 
by not comparing yourself to what others have. See, God says, don't do it. It's silly. You compare houses, you compare your clothes, you compare cars. Someone was telling me about a new digital camera they just bought on sale. Then they saw a camera, similar, with a lot of more whistles and more wingdings on it. And they became discontented. Comparing causes discontent. You simply are not contented with what God gives to you. Have you learned to be content? Really, the acid test for contentment in your notes is your finances. Your money is the acid test. Finances become the central drive for how much you trust in God. And God wants you to learn to be content. Because your happiness isn't dependent on how much or how little you have. In your notes number three, God has promised to meet all your financial needs if, if you practice giving in faith. Yeah, if you just practice giving in faith. Giving in faith is really the law of the universe. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Let's read that verse together out loud. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Stop there for a moment. This says that God is really looking. He's looking at the attitude of your heart as you give. And do you have that thankful attitude? For all the gifts that God gives to you. And we read on. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things. At all times. Having all that you need. You will abound in every good word. This principle is a law of the universe then. It's the principle in your notes. Of sowing. And reaping. And it applies to every area of your life. If I sow criticism. I will reap criticism. If I sow kindness, then I'll reap kindness. If I sow generosity, then I'll reap generosity back. When you give blood, what happens? You build your own blood right back. It multiplies. So whatever you need more of, you give away. Every farmer, every farmer knows this very principle. See, the farmer's rule in your notes... When I have a need, I plant a seed. The farmer looks out on a barren field where there's no crops. He doesn't start griping about there being no crops, though. He doesn't say, I wish there were crops. He just goes out and he starts planting seed. Because when you have a need, you plant a seed. The farmer plants seed so that he has more than when he started. Does four sacks of seed produce four sacks of seed? No, it produces a hundredfold. And no farmer in his right mind would dare say, I can't afford to plant. I just cannot afford to sow because the farmer would not just hold on to those bags of seed. Because the only way that he's going to get anything, he has to give it away. If he holds on to it, then that's all he has. If he gives it away, It multiplies. That's called the faith test. 
In your notes, that's true for your money as well. It's true with the finances that God gives to you. When I have in your notes a need, when I have a need, then I give. At first, that really seems illogical, but it's the universal law. Because God wants us to trust in him. God himself is a giver. God is generous. God saw the problem of man's sin. God has a need to save all mankind from their sin and from the power of death. So God gave. God gave his only son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross for us. God had a need, so God gave. And God wants you and me to learn to be like him. God so loved the world that he gave. And if you're not a giver, then you'll never be like Jesus. God promises to reward his children when they are like him. Just look at Luke 6, verse 38, where Jesus said, he says, give to others and God will give to you. In fact, the measure you use for others is the one God will use for you. So God wants you to be like him, a giver. And the point is that when I hoard my money, then that's all I have. When I give it away, God promises to multiply it. The principle of sowing and reaping. Look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of your money. And of all the crops, that you will have more grain and grapes than you will ever need. That is simply the principle of first fruit giving. It's important then that you know, in your notes, the principle of tithing, the principle of first fruit giving, that is not charity. Charity is an act of kindness that we have toward people. But giving to your church, then, is not charity. Tithing is an act of your worship. It's an act of worship that's always directed toward God. Please note that. Charity is giving to the needs of men. Tithing is an act of worship toward God. And you say as an act of your worship, God, you're number one in in my life by giving in your worship to him. So in conclusion, God has promised to meet all my needs if, in your notes, if I trust him with my life. Look at Matthew 6. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now in your notes, kids, kids have needs. You have discovered that, haven't you? And good fathers, in your notes, good fathers want to give. In fact, it's the job of fathers to care for and to give to their children. But too often we ourselves act like we are spiritual orphans, though. In your notes, we act as if we are children with needs, but we have no heavenly father. The Bible says that your heavenly father knows what you need. He's just waiting for you to ask him. Does God take care of birds? Sure he does. They don't worry. Animals and plants do not worry. In fact, the only part of God's creation that worries, that's the human being. Everything else is dependent on God for providing. And in your notes, worry is simply a form of what I've read this down, of atheism, because it says, 
If it's the B, then it's always up to me. But that's not so. If God takes care of little birds, don't you think he'll take care of you and me? Look at Psalm 111, verse 5. He gives food to those who trust in him. He never forgets his promises. That's a good verse for your refrigerator. Put that, put that on your refrigerator this week. Because we're to trust God with our lives. God loves us, so God gives to us. And in your notes, that's good news. God paid for your salvation by giving his own son to suffer and die on the cross for you. That's his good news. So number one, ask for his help. Number two, learn to be content. And number three, practice giving in faith. Amen.